dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host, Sean Eubanks. Well, welcome to Blunt Business Radio. I'm Sean Eubanks, your host. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to introduce our guest today. Bethany Niebauer is the Vice President of Regulatory Compliance and Licensing. Bethany has an impressive history of license application that gets results. She articulates value, develops messages, and delivers strategically written applications for cannabis entrepreneurs. Bethany is passionate about legal cannabis and believes that the state-specific model provides an interest each time a state legalizes cannabis. Her expertise and knowledge of the state requirements for an application are astronomical. Clients love how she's able to distill complex issues and ideas into language that is easily digestible for a cannabis entrepreneur and cannabis regulators alike. Bethany's completed applications are always in line with the client's missions, values, and goals. She's passionate about human rights and is a strong supporter of cannabis legalization throughout the country. Additionally, she is an accomplished writer and editor. She's been asked to edit three novels and one poetry and anthology. Bethany enjoys the outdoors, knitting, and hanging out with her two polydactyl cats. Welcome. Thank you, Sean, and thank you for making me sound like a crazy cat lady <laughs> no, in, let, in the introduction. Well, let's talk about these polydactyl cats. <laughs> First of all, what does polydactyl mean? Polydactyl means they have extra toes. Okay. But I prefer the term digitally enhanced. Okay. So what do you do with extra toes if you're a cat? Um, scratch my furniture. Okay. I think that's – it's just a, it's a genetic thing that happens. Okay. So if I was going to get my cat declawed, which is – someone argue that's inhumane. But if mm-hmm. I was going to do that – would I be charged extra for the extra toes? Absolutely, you would, which okay. is one of the reasons I have not done it. It's all about value yes. and, and, and know where you're at with it. <laughs> well, listen, welcome to the show. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. What what I want to offer to our listeners today is just your your application expertise. You've had success in multiple states. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, just, you just do a phenomenal job of it. And we want to dive in today for everyone and just talk about application writing in general, some pitfalls. And, uh, and and just and do that. So we'll kind of start with the basics 101 and things like that. Sure. And then have you have you just contribute that. So thank you again for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. So first things first, what is an a-, a license application? So when a state legalizes medical marijuana and so far states have al- always started with medical rather than going straight to recreational, when they do that, they usually have a competitive licensing process. So they will release regular Uh, And sometime after that, they will release an application. Um, And this is where people get a little confused because they think it's like applying to college where you check, fill in the blank spaces, check the boxes and you're done. Excuse me. But there will be a lot of narratives. Uh, The one I just finished in Pennsylvania had 18 or 19 narratives that were all 5,000 words a piece. So these these are lengthy and they are um, they're challenging to write. Okay. And and. Is there any foreshadowing or is there a way to predict, hey, this is going to be a robust application, kind of like you just went through in Pennsylvania, more than 100,000 words? Or is there an indicator that, hey, you know, this is a simple application that an entrepreneur might be able to handle on their own? There isn't really. Um, Colorado has a simple application. There are some places in California, but those are municipalities and not for the state. And those applications are sometimes pretty simple. I would call them simple anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But <clears throat> I think typically when a state comes online, they want they want to be able to trust these business owners because they are dealing with an illicit substance. So they intentionally make the application process very competitive. Well, and isn't it interesting? And, and even if it's a simple application, the reality of, of the industry is that it's a much more mature market now. And you have really seasoned writers that you're actually going head to head. You're competing with. Exactly. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm competing with people who have more experience uh, than I do. I'm competing with other lawyers. There are I, you know, I think we do a fan fantastic job of consulting, but there are other companies out there that, that do uh, volume or more applications. Um, yeah, there, there are a lot of experienced players in the field right now. Yeah, it's one of the challenges I think that, that should be noted is that you know, in other industries and people come into this industry and, and they, they think it's going to be kind of like you alluded to, like where you're checking boxes or it's mm -hmm. a, a college application. And it's really more of a story about why you're going to be successful and why they should choose you. That's exactly right. I try when I do this, I try to tell it in the form of a of a story. The, these are our characters. This is our location. This is these are our motivations and our values. And this is why we're going to do very well and why we can be trusted with a with a license. Now, in in relation to applications, you have a cultivation application, you have mm -hmm. a processing, sometimes that's combined, mm -hmm. and then there's a dispensary. Can you kind of differentiate between those? Sure. Um, so I'll use Maryland as an example. Maryland's application came out in, I think, October of 2015, and then was due uh, beginning of November of the of 2015 as well. <clears throat> um their applicate they had three different uh, applications. There was one for dispensary, one for processing, and one for cultivation. Occasionally, a state will have a laboratory um, for testing. They'll do that sort of application. Um, Pennsylvania did they combined um, cultivation and processing. So those were those were two, one application combined, uh, and then dispensary as well. So with Maryland, mm -hmm. it was. Highly competitive. Very competitive. Right? Some, I think some 800 applicants. Uh, you won there. I did. Um, big feather in your cap. Huge, huge boost for your client there. Um, talk about the difference between competitive and non-competitive, Maryland being extremely competitive. Sure. So some places, uh, Puerto Rico is a good, um, good example. That is still competitive. Um, but they have kind of a rolling application submission process. So uh, there there aren't so many hard deadlines. Um, I mean, you remember when I was working on Pennsylvania, there were a lot of there were a lot of long nights mm -hmm. um, for all of us and a little bit of work on weekends as well. Um, and that's the nature of the beast. Like when the application drops, it's it's do whatever you can because that is a hard deadline. and if you miss it, it it's over. Um, well, so in in Maryland specifically, when you were writing that application, talk about some of the challenges and opportunities that you were facing. That was for a retail dispensary location. I know you finished in the, and they, they ranked that and you were in mm -hmm. the top 10 for that. So it, it means I was, um, uh, you're, you're close. I was in the top 30. It was number okay. 27, oh, but, okay. but out of 102 uh, licenses granted. So still, right. still very good. Still, still proud of it. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for that correction. Sure. So on you you simply uh, I think people don't understand that hey we're gonna grant in words we're gonna mm -hmm. grant a hundred mm -hmm. sometimes they're gonna grant 28 30 sure. there's just these low numbers for the entire state in the case of, of Maryland you've got 800 people vying for a hundred spots right um, the team I can talk about the team I worked with in Maryland they were unusual in that they were not um, experienced business owners they were both 
uh, relatively young. Uh, they didn't have a lot of experience in, in business or just in, in their career history. So for them, I had to I had to make it about the story. I had to make it about their passion. One of them was a disabled veteran, and he was really enthusiastic about serving other disabled veterans. Maryland uh, has PTSD as a qualifying condition. So mm-hmm. Maryland was already open to the idea of treating PTSD um, with cannabis. So I got to tell that story um, which for me was very moving and very rewarding. I like being able to tell stories. Do you think, and I know you're, you're probably going to be modest with this answer, uh, but do you think that if you didn't tell that story in a particular way, because they're in, in a way uh, with no previous business experience, they're not technically supposed to win. Right. You know, Do you think that if you hadn't told the story in a certain way and dug in and had the um, feedback from that client, it would have gone that well? No, I don't think so. I think I, I think my job there was making, um, was getting the reader to believe that, that they could do it despite their lack of experience. So I wrote a lot of, about their motivations and why, um, th- their devotion to their values and that sort of thing. Um, so if I had left that out, they didn't have a lot of business experience. They didn't have a whole, there were only two people three people on their team, it wasn't, the breadth of knowledge was not so expansive. If I had left that out, I don't think we would have been successful. Well, and and unfortunately, in a state like Maryland, you have a two-part process, which is common. You see Mm -hmm. this in Ohio and other other states. There, even though they're they're past the first hurdle, they still have other things that need to be done. That's correct. Um, So the, the first step is showing, you know, show us why you deserve the license. And then the second step is um, show us where you are with the build-out process. Are you going to be operational? I think Maryland, I think they had a total of 12 months. Pennsylvania is going to have a, a, a total of six months to show operational capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's competitive. And it's rough, you know. So proving your operational can look can mm-hmm. look different per, and and they usually will define that. But um, is there any ongoing concern in Maryland as far as getting that client to phase two or getting them across that finish line? A little bit. I am. Um, I am nervous for them because they're trying to do it on their own, and that's certainly uh, laudable. Um, but their lack of experience makes me feel concerned, and I. Um, I think they need a good consultant for that part of the process. Um, I think lots of people in Maryland actually probably need good consultants for this this part of the process. The work isn't done. The battle is not over. There is still a lot of work to do to compress the the medical marijuana commission of that state. Okay, and. What states have used this type of application process so far? Oh, a lot. Um, so New York did, Illinois as well, Maryland, Pennsylvania, uh, Puerto Rico has, theirs is still ongoing, uh, Nevada, also I think Arizona, pretty sure. Um, yeah, a good number of states. And so do you, when you're talking to a client and, and they're about to engage you to write this application, do you divide it into competitive versus non-competitive or do you try to – how do you relay to them that this isn't something they can do on their own or maybe they can or how do you create the picture because it's something that's just – no one knows what it is until it comes out and they're like, oh my gosh, it's 100,000 words. We're all overwhelmed. Yes. Um, that- how, do you find that it's a challenge to – talk to your clients up front about stuff like that. I absolutely do. That's That, for me, is one of the more difficult parts um, because clients do think it's something you can just, you know, put a couple hours in on, at your dining room table after work, a couple nights a week, it'll be no problem. I have um, 
I have trouble explaining to them how difficult and time-consuming this is uh, without without being boastful. Uh, right. That's my that's my problem. One of the things I've heard you do really well is explain to a client that listen, this is a process that. Um, we have to get to know you, and it's mm-hmm. a competitive writing scenario where the reality, unfortunate or not, and, and just not, not not being hard on these regulators, but most of the time they have zero cannabis experience. So your role of writing the application is to educate the regulator. Right, exactly. Uh, so I do spend a lot of time um, educating the the regulator about about the client's personal history, about their business as well. And that's, that is actually my very favorite part when I get to talk about clients and their history and their, their capacities. I like, I like being a writer and I think that part allows for the most creativity in my job. So when I'm writing applications, I always leave that part for last because it's my favorite. Um, but to, to answer your, your question, um, I do, yeah, I will work with clients and I will write in a manner that keeps, keeps the narrative flowing. So the, one of the challenges is the is the fact that applications are not terribly interesting. Nobody gets up in the morning and wants to read about inventory control or waste management procedures. So my job is to sort of good writing um, and, a, and a quick paced read with something that is really not terribly entertaining. Gotcha. So what is what does the typical application look like? Um, the typical there well. Let's be clear. There is no typical application, um, but there are things that I know to look for. For example, I can rely on a state to ask about inventory control procedures. I can rely on them to ask about um, security procedures and safety procedures. Um, There will probably be something for a cultivation application. They will ask about pesticides and growing techniques. Uh, For dispensaries, excuse me, they will ask about uh, safety procedures for protecting your employees from, say, a, a robbed uh, a burglary or a armed robbery. Um, so, uh, and more and more, what's interesting to me is we are seeing applications ask about diversity. So Maryland, their application did not specifically ask for diversity, but the, I believe the original bill, when they passed it and it was signed into law, that mentioned something about preference given to diverse teams. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's where you know, my job is to is to stay up to date on these things. So when bills come out, my job is to read them and make sure, like, know from the get go what the state is looking for and what what they want. Um, I actually I like that part of my job a lot. <laughs> Have you ever had a situation where you're advising a client to be be more diverse and they push back on you? Yes. Okay, and so <laughs> how? How is that? That's a delicate conversation. It is a delicate conversation because you're balancing. Um, the fact that you're number one, you need to answer what the application calls for, mm-hmm. right? So, is, are you able to prioritize it like that, or are you kind of having to pitch the client on, look, you need this anyway, but regardless, don't put me, the writer, in a situation if you're if you're declining to be diverse enough. Mm-hmm. Um, most clients, because by the time they're talking to me, um, they've already invested money in a in a consultant, so. Those clients are a little more open because they've already spent some money and now they want to win. Um, So by the time they get to me, if I say your team is not diverse and this isn't going to win you a license, they will scramble to find find more people who are diverse who will get them a license. Okay, and can you talk a little bit more about what is the process? Okay, Um, so the process is you know when the application drops. 
we will we usually know a couple of weeks in advance that it's going to drop or sometimes we'll know months in advance uh, Maryland was actually something like three or four weeks late uh, when their application dropped Pennsylvania was right on time um, and the the frustrating part is that is very frequently when clients or potential clients call us like that the moment that they have seen the application and now finally they understand that this is actually very difficult this is going to be a real challenge and I don't know that I have the subject matter expertise to complete it that's when they call us and that's I have definitely won applications that way but it is it is more challenging um, because now I have to spend time writing the file and getting to know the team and figuring out what their strengths and weaknesses are and tying all of that in and what are your recommendations for people who are listening and they're thinking about getting a license? How much lead time do you need and why is that important? The more the better. Um, very serious applicants, will they will start looking into hiring a consultant once the bill is passed. Um, and I, I highly recommend that. A lot of people think that there isn't anything a consultant can do for them until the application is released, and that's unfortunately that's just wrong. There's plenty of things we can do. Um, we were working with a client in Pennsylvania a couple of weeks before the application came out, and that's when I was taking time getting to know them and writing about their biographical histories. Um, I was doing a couple other things because, oh, diversity. We already knew then that diversity was going to be in, uh, important to Pennsylvania, so I was writing about that. There's plenty of work that can be done because you never know um, what the application is going to ask for and you want to be prepared. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because when you when you wait to the last second, we see this and in, in, it feels like every state. It does. When you do that and you call, then you call your, your consultant that might have quoted you six or eight months ago mm -hmm. uh, and you say, I'm ready to go. Well, guess what? Everyone else is too. Yeah, right. Now we're... Yeah, at that point, you're kind of playing catch up. At this point, you don't know your consultant very well. The consultant doesn't know you. And now now it's a scramble where it could have been something, um, it could have been a much smoother process. You know, and it's interesting. I, I don't think that potential clients will look at it this way, but we as consultants, we want to protect our reputation too. Absolutely. You want to win every time you I go really out. I really do. And so when someone waits and makes you wait to the last second, you're like, hey, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is you don't know how they're going to behave, how responsive they're going to be. Are they going to give you the financials you need? Are they going to give you everything you need? So it's really a, a, a nerve-wracking thing to wait the last minute. It is, yes. Well, and so give me a couple of things before we go to break here about what are what are the some of the, the pre-application things that you can accomplish um, before the application is released? Uh, we can do things with uh, building design and layout. Uh, a lot of applications ask for um, a physical property address. Maryland didn't, uh, but Pennsylvania did. They wanted to, um, you already had to have a property locked down, which meant you needed to own the building outright or you needed to have a lease. Uh, and then they wanted to see overlays about um, security and cameras, um, safety features as well. So that is one thing, uh, building management. Another thing is uh, biographical information about the team, their business history, their capacity to operate, uh, their willingness to work together. Do members of the team already know each other? Um, or are they, are they going to try and start a brand new business together with 10 people who've never met before? <laughs> so, Right. No, mm -hmm. those are all good points. And especially when you look at the diversity part, you might be including people and putting right. together these things. And then the other things, they may not know who needs to be on their board, and yes. you're, you're advising them that way. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, guys, we're going to take a short break. And, uh, but when we come back, we'll be joined by Bethany Niebauer, Vice President of Regulatory Compliance and Licensing, Application Writing Extraordinaire, 
we are going to dig into some common elements of an actual application that Bethany has written. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Blunt Business Radio. We are here with our guest, Bethany Niebauer, Vice President of Regulatory Compliance and Licensing. I'm your host, Sean Eubanks, VP of Strainwise Consulting. And so, Bethany, we have covered a little bit of the basics uh, in the first block there about licensing applications. Now we're going to dig into an actual application. This is going to be a gem for our listeners. So, guys out there, please take notes here. We're going to talk about actual uh, narratives that that are that are needed and that that are that are part of a, a winning application so um, yeah let's kind of let's okay. dive into that okay um, so narratives are a, a element um, and they will be done differently for example in Maryland there were something like hundred and eighty different narratives um, some of them the the word capacity was up to 2500 words and some of them the word capacity was 70. Seven zero. Oh wow! Yeah, so that's um, that's two or three sentences. That's not much. So mm-hmm. it, and it is tough sometimes distilling the information they want into such a small subject. Uh, another state I wrote in was Hawaii, and their um, their narratives were uh, they were page based. So they gave you something like three, two, three, or five pages. Uh, that entire application was like fifty five pages, which is incredibly short. That is nothing. Uh, and it was very challenging um, getting every portraying everything I wanted to about my clients and their goals and their mission and their their capabilities in such a short um, such a, a short page amount. I just didn't have time to talk about the things I wanted to talk about. And at that point, when it's really short like that, every word matters. Exactly, and you've got to stand out somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it's page length, so the length of your words matter. Mm. If I can use, you know, if a short word means the exact same thing as a long word, I need to use the short word. Right. And something like that. 
Well, and let's be honest here. You're writing applications all across the country in different – I mean Puerto Rico aside, mm-hmm. cultural differences. Com- I mean but just in, in the continental United States, you're still writing for different geographical areas. The way you say things matter, the way those words are received, and how that information is articulated matters. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, so I did spend some time when I was writing the Hawaii application learning about um, Hawaiian culture. Um, and that's something I do actually for almost any application. Puerto Rico has been the most challenging in that in that regard. Um, I don't know very much about Puerto Rican culture, and also my undergraduate degree is in French, so I don't... I know French culture very well. Martinique, would you please? <laughs> Martinique, if you're listening, I would really like to write an application there. I think I would do very well. Um, but you know, going back to your question, yeah, culture absolutely uh, plays a role. Um, Pennsylvania, my family actually is from Pennsylvania, so that was something I was able to tie in. Is they're, they're very Yankee. They're kind of precise. It's um, They're formal, but they're also very friendly. And I got you know, trying to write in a way that that they could relate to is important. Sometimes for a very competitive application, I'll do something like listen to local television or local radio, you know, stream Mm -hmm. it online just to get to know what do the people in this area care about? What's, you know, what are they listening to when they get ready for work in the morning? What are they, what do they care about on their drive home? No, that's interesting. And I think it's fascinating as Americans to understand that we've got different cultural pockets. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a it's it's a probably a testament to your success that you're willing to honor the fact that we all speak the same language, we're from the sure. same place generally, but they're they're you're you're giving a lot of extra attention to learning about what's gonna what's gonna resonate and how to win there. Right. I, I definitely agree with you on Pittsburgh or, or, or Pennsylvania in general. I was in Pittsburgh last week and mm-hmm. and um, just really really down to earth, genuinely nice people. Um, I didn't really know what to expect and mm-hmm. and and but very very um, um, down to earth. Yeah. And and farmers as well. Mm-hmm. And so you have to. Assume- and they're proud of that. They're very yes. proud of their farmer heritage. I think other states you can be a farmer, but don't don't expect anyone to respect you for it. Right. Which is different in Pennsylvania. So they're yeah, they they like that. They admire that part of their culture. You know, the other thing is this, and we've had a, a chance to to meet and 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 participate a little bit in the political circles there. But um, honoring the fact that they are farmers and that they and that and that um, being the medicinal side of marijuana is the focus mm-hmm. and a, and a more conservative approach, not just a blanket approach, but a specific farming understanding that. Um, those regulators and those politicians and the, and the pressure that those politicians have on them is to make sure this program goes off without a hitch and that it doesn't turn into this recreational free-for-all kind of nightmare scenario. Right. I, one, of the, uh, you know, one of the attributes of farming is being self-sufficient. And that's mm-hmm. something I got to tie into this application as well was this, is, um, this business has several business owners who have all owned businesses, owned, sold, operated businesses in the past. They've done very well. Um, they've already set up a location. This will be wholly self-sufficient. Just give us the license. We can take it from there. Right, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, and and the thing that the, the, the Pennsylvania clients, I, I find to be um, very confident, very successful. You you need to be at a, to a certain level to be a cultivator. Right. But really what a wonderful uh, opportunity these cultivators have in Pennsylvania 
and in neighboring West Virginia as well, specifics to their economy, um, the, the, the fact that, that the, the budget can be balanced in a, in a certain way or certainly go a long way towards that, um, but also addressing the opioid crisis that kind of penetrates both states. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel like coming away from Pennsylvania that those people have their heart in the right place, and I just find myself rooting for them because it, it it's cannabis, but it means something totally different. Absolutely, and I, I like the medicinal qualities of it. I like writing about that. I I, um, I sometimes get teary-eyed um, when I win an application because it, to me, it means that there are people in an area now who are going to have good medicine, and that's for me that's very rewarding in an emotional way. Excellent. So let's dive into some of these narratives. I know that, okay. that you, you touched on 18 or 19 mm-hmm. narratives there. Give give our listeners an idea of how robust. Now, Pennsylvania, highly competitive state. Yes. Five cultivators are going to win, right? Uh, I think, yes, yeah, something those. something like that. Five is not enough. 500 would be good. I would, yes. Uh, um, and so, and then 28 dispensaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 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 de- so underserved, to be fair, um, combined with um, a robust application that we, we you kind of was was just not sure how it was going to go, but I know we don't have a lot of time, but let's talk about some of those narratives. Okay, so I wrote about, I'd had to write a transportation plan, which was, I had to explain how are you going to move product from the, from the process, from the cultivator to the processor to the dispensary. And then you mm-hmm. have to find, I looked up all of the relevations and cited those in, in the narrative itself. Um, this client wanted to use a contractor, so I had to explain how that was going to be, um, how they were going to do that, what selection criteria they were going to use for finding said contractor, um, the, the rules and regulations that the contractor was going to be, uh, held to. Um, that was a fun one because you got to, I got to actually write about the cannabis and I always try to include contingencies. What happens if there's a car accident? Um, what happens if there's a car accident and, um, the driver and his his passenger are incapacitated. Um, so some of that word space is used for uh, showing the regulators we take this so seriously we have already thought of a number of possible contingencies and we are prepared for those. Right. So like you've seen nationwide stuff and like maybe like a, a truck will will wreck and there'll be Skittles or M&Ms yes. across the highway. What a travesty. A little different. I mean, I'm going, I'm, I'm there to help, but I'm also there to eat some M&Ms. <laughs> exactly. Right? I mean, we, let's let's, be we have priorities here, <laughs> but cannabis all over the highway, mm-hmm. a different, a different problem. A very different. Yeah. And that's relevant to diversion, which is another, that is another, um, uh, narrative I had to write was a diversion prevention plan. So the, um, Diversion is always, always very important to regulators because diversion is any time cannabis leaves a, a, the state-regulated model. So if, if a dispensary or a cultivation center is selling out the back door to the black market or if they're just sloppy with their inventory and someone there's an employee who's able to sell a pound or a couple ounces here and there, that's also diversion. Another uh, a case of di- diversion could be when there's a car accident and even though it's, it's no one's fault, there's marijuana all over the roadway. Uh, so we have to, be, we have to write um, very careful narratives about how to deal and prevent diversion. Interesting point, and and to you know, it's almost like you can see all sides because if you're a dispensary, if you're a bud tender, mm-hmm. not the last job you're going to have a a, a career sort of along the lines of Starbucks and the way that you're you're learning customer service, maybe waiting tables, things like that, not making a lot of money per hour, maybe twelve dollars an hour or something like that. 
for you to steal a, a little bit of product is just you taking care of yourself, right. but obviously putting the business at risk. Yeah, I, it is a fa- financial reward to employees and it does uh, it does put the business at risk as well. That's well put. Uh, so it needs, yeah, business owners need to come up with a way to to fight this. Now, going along the lines, you touched on diversity plan. We talk Mm -hmm. about that. One of the other things was operational timetable and how that's going to work. Um, It's hard to, you know, explain to our listeners what a bad application written looks like or how you miss because there's no feedback giving. As far as I understand, there's no feedback given to you about why you won or why you lost or what happened. No, the only feedback you get is, is win or lose. Right. So that that is that is challenging. And so are you um, as far as the the other narratives go, like employee qualifications and things like that, um, kind of go through, um, paint the picture for kind of what they might expect as far as the narratives go. Uh, sure. So I, I think you're asking about like operational timetables and, and OK, yep. so they <clears throat> one of the best things a client can do is have their own building. Um, you need. I would recommend owning it, and I would recommend having lining up the permits to do whatever sort of uh, finish, tenant finish, you're going to need to do. Because if, the, if it's in a new market, it's not going to be finished in a way that can grow or sell cannabis. Uh, so location is a really good one. I like to write about somebody's business experience. Um, I really enjoy doing that. Or if I can't write about their business experience, as I couldn't in Maryland, I like to write about their motivations. <clears throat> so as an example, the team in Pennsylvania, there were about, I think there were about 10 people on it and almost all of them knew someone who had either been addicted to opiates or had died from an opiate overdose, which I think wow. is, for one, that speaks to the level of the opioid crisis in Pennsylvania. I don't, I don't think I have known anyone who, who's died of an overdose and that's, maybe I'm very sheltered, but they were motivated because they had owned a construction company and they would get frustrated because, you know, Dave or somebody hasn't shown up for work for the past three days. And, you know, what's going on, Dave? And then you come to find out, oh, well, you know, actually Dave died of an overdose a couple of days ago. So, so that was something I I really like to tie in their motivations. Um, If you are, if you're getting into this because you just want to make money, that doesn't make a compelling um, application. So I will work with a yeah. client to try and figure out, but but what is what is compelling about you? What is appealing? What can the regu- What can I write about that a regulator could relate to? That's an incredible point you brought up, and I think we got lucky with our client in Pennsylvania on the cultivation side because their heart was in the right place. Exactly, and, and it's almost like they sold us mm-hmm. on why we wanted to work with them. Um, but that's an interesting point, especially culturally in, aligned with farming, taking care of each other and that sort of um, durability. Um, but when someone passes in our community and drug and, and, and drug overdoses, things like that are unacceptable in Pennsylvania. And I and I, I, I see that as a reoccurring theme. I had someone come up to our booth in Pittsburgh the weekend and talk about fentanyl patches that her, yes. one of, what her relatives had uh, put fentanyl patches on. Mm-hmm. And you can put fentanyl patches on and die. Right. And so, uh, you know, addressing those things, and I don't mean to be, you know, sheltered either. And it's something that we don't really deal with. It's not in our face here in Colorado or, um, you know, really um, in in certain pockets of the United States, it's just not um, as prevalent. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but it really reinforced for me what why we do what we do. Yes. Right. Um, I think opiates have a are just more dangerous. They have a much higher capacity for um, abuse and I mean fentanyl patches. I've heard of cases where someone who would not call himself or herself an addict, but the patch ruptures 
and all of that opiate medicine floods into your system at once instead of being released over time. Wow. Um, and then some, you know, people, they o accidentally overdose. Wow. Unbelievable. So, um, so on, uh, in regards to the, the application, is there anything that that's, cause we always, we seem to have this kind of tug of war between what the client thinks they can do for themselves mm -hmm. and the value that you bring as the writer. Are there right. any narratives that you think, Oh, the client could have written this himself? Oh, that's a good, thoughtful question. Um, clients might be able to write about their own biographical information, but I'm I'm going to sound like a snob and say, but I could probably do it better. Um, right. I think I am a good writer. I like um, I like making an argument. I like being persuasive. Um, when uh, clients do write things, they tend to tell it very. It's like reading bullet points off a resume. Between these years, I did this. Between these years, I did this other thing. It's not. They don't make an argument. They're not trying to tie it into, and this is all why I deserve a license. Right. Well, and it's interesting. It, isn't it true that you hear a lot of clients, like everybody these days seems to be politically connected. Yes. Everybody seems to have, you know, it's this, it's this overconfidence issue. This Can is another favorite thing I hear from clients is uh, I have been told this so many times that I don't need to worry about the application because they are very well connected and it's, it's a gimme. They have it locked down. They're friends. They play golf with the governor. Don't worry about it. Just submit something. And I'm that almost right. never wins. You know, it's amazing you say that because it's 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 that overconfidence is an issue. Um, and our client in Hawaii, where we uh, we we weren't successful in a rare event, we're almost a hundred percent successful. I'm real protective of that. I want I want to keep telling clients we're nearly a hundred percent. Yes. Um, but the odd happenstance with a, with a rather famous uh, client in Hawaii overplayed his hand, overplayed that he was married to a Hawaiian, mm -hmm. uh, overplayed his political connections, and he ended up being the small fish in that pond. He was, yes. Uh, Hawaii, yeah, was incredibly competitive. For dispensaries, they were giving out something like eight licenses, eight for the wow. state. I mean, it was it was nothing. Um, and then those were broken down by different islands. So, yeah, um, Hawaii was incredibly, incredibly competitive. I would say that was the most difficult application I ever wrote. On the dispensary side, the cultivation side, or both? For that one, I wrote dispensary. Okay. All right. So we are going to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll be joined by Bethany Niebauer again. Don't go away. We are actually going to dive into common pitfalls about why applications are not successful. So stay tuned, and we will be right back. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A -N -N -A Radio on Twitter. 
Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing cannabis radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him, think that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. I hope you didn't forget about us. Welcome back to Blunt, Blunt Business Radio. I'm Sean Eubanks, your host. And we are sitting with Bethany Niebauer, VP of Regulatory Compliance and application writing extraordinaire with Strainwise Consulting. So, Bethany, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Uh, so, we have covered a lot of things. We've talked about what is a, a licensed application. We went into um, the actual narratives. We talked about so much. This last uh, block here, we want to talk about three ways that can kill your application and give our listeners some viable information that they can take back and understand what makes a successful application and and what is um, a challenge. So. We've got about 13 minutes left. We want to kind of go through this. And, and so let's start with the first number one reason why um, applications fail. I would say, in my opinion, that that is uh, bad writing. So the style needs to be cohesive. It needs to be eloquent. It needs to be fast paced. Um, and that is the single hardest part of my job, I think, is is presenting information that is not interesting. Um, it's never going to be interesting, but trying to make it compelling so that my reader stays engaged. Now, as far as cohesion goes and, and, and along the lines of trial mm -hmm. lawyers, mm -hmm. talk about kind of what's called theory of the case and how okay. you, you might apply that here. Sure. So my, my background is in law uh, and trial lawyers uh, very frequently, the good ones anyway, will prepare something that's called a theory of the case. And this is one statement. It is one sentence, the shorter the better, on why your client deserves to win and, you know, why, yeah, just why your client deserves to win the suit. So that you boil an entire case, and you know sometimes remember the O.J. Simpson case that that went on for weeks. Sure, his lawyers had to boil all of that down into one sentence about why O.J. Simpson deserved to be acquitted. So I do something very similar, and I, in a hokey way, I call it a theory of the application. But I will work with the client to figure out if it's a dispensary application, what sets your dispensary apart. Why is it different uh, from every other dispensary? And it needs to be something a little more thoughtful than we want to sell good product at with excellent customer service. It needs to be a level above that because everyone wants to sell good product with excellent customer service. Uh, so I will, yeah, I'll write a theory of the application um, in order to sell, quote unquote, sell my my client to the regulators you know so that kind of alludes and, and it really gives us a peek behind the curtain of the creativity that's mm -hmm. needed as a writer right as a lawyer and what goes into it and so the longer that client waits to move forward they're kind of expecting you to switch on like that yes when in reality there's a process that's actually pretty hard can take days and when you're crunched for time 
that can that can stress you out a little bit. Exactly. When I am crunched for time, I am always tempted to just skip this step, just move on. It's not important. Don't worry about it. Uh, but no, it, it is actually very important because once I have that theory, I can tie it into every single narrative. And then the regulator, it sort of drills it into their head. They, they, they've heard it before. They know they're going to hear it again. And it's simple enough phrase or sentence that they can remember it. Excellent. So we have bad writing would be the number one way to kill your application. Mm -hmm. And just understandably, people aren't authors and and, and intelligent people don't know. Right. And if you're not a good writer, you Mm -hmm. don't become a good writer just because you have to write. I don't think so. Not usually. Now, in the way of writing, do you do any creative writing on your own or outside? What do you do outside of work to strengthen your writing skills? That's a great question. I I read a lot um, because I've never heard of a writer who doesn't read. Um, I also I do journal. Um, I I went through a long phase in high school and college where I wrote poetry. Um, Mm -hmm. Before that, I actually was writing short stories um, uh, in fourth and fifth grade. So my, my experience as a writer literally goes back to when they taught me to write. Now, you've also been featured in several articles and been asked to write for blogs and different mm-hmm. nationwide publications. Talk a little bit about that in the cannabis industry. Uh, yeah. So I also I have um, written articles for Can America magazine. Um, there was one right after the election, after Jeff Sessions had been appointed. I wrote about him. Uh, I wrote about... Robert Mondavi. Uh, he was um, he was a leader in the marketing industry, not also winemaking, but he he turned wine marketing into an art. And I wrote about learned from him. Um, I think I also wrote for MG Magazine. I think once mm-hmm. it, there's there's been quite a few. This is um, I am very fortunate in that my hobby is also my job. So this is this is what I do for fun. And given your influence in the industry in the time you mentioned 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. you've been at this several years now. You're actually a paid contributor in some respects to other publications as well. Can America Magazine, that's correct. Yes. Excellent. Congratulations Thank on that. You. Okay, so we've covered bad writing as one way that will kill your application. Let's talk about the second way that uh, is detrimental to the mm-hmm. progress of an application. Uh, the second one is kind of is more dependent on the team um, and un- unimpressive or insufficient team um, is not going to win an application. The team needs to encompass a large breadth of knowledge and experience. So I like seeing a team that has doctors, pharmacists, accountants, lawyers, security professionals. Uh, I like seeing people. I want the regulator to look at at this team and their breadth of knowledge and say, wow, what can't they handle? Uh, So if you have a team with only two or three people on it, that's going to be very, very difficult. But at the same token, uh, a team with 18 or 20 people, I'm not going to be able to write about all of them with the kind of space they deserve. Now, there was a point where you got creative, and and it should be noted you won that license, but you were able to add a veterinarian (laughs) to an application versus a pharmacist. This is a good story. Uh, So in Maryland, the application required a a doctor, a certified nurse practitioner, or a pharmacist had to be on the team. And the the client I was working with was two rather young people, and they didn't didn't have anyone. What they did have, I think there was a veterinarian who was like the – cousin's mother of of one of them. She was sort of distantly related, but this is what we had. So I got to spend, I think, about a thousand words writing about 
you know, I know the, the regulations say that you want a pharmacist or a nurse, but no, no, actually, you want a veterinarian because they do their own dispensing and because they have to learn more than one species. I had to come up with a very yep. creative argument. Um, and at the time, it felt like such a Hail Mary. And I remember hoping that I would never have to make this kind of stretchy argument again. Uh, but it, it at the end of the day, it won. So I'm very proud of that. Wonderful job, very creative, and it did work, and it absolutely is true. When you think about a veterinarian, mm -hmm. I thought about it, wow, you know what? That is absolutely true. They do have to write a myriad of prescriptions. Yes. They have a ton of different species. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're with a dog now and a parrot later and right. a hamster next, you know, and, and so I don't know how many people bring hamsters actually to the veterinarian. <laughs> you just got to write that one off. That's a loss. <laughs> you know, we'll take, you know, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss them. Yes. But I don't think sure. that I should, I should put that mm -hmm. leg in a cast. It's yeah. a little small. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you, 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 and, and to that point, you were able to massively do that. And most importantly, you impress the reader. Um, talk about, uh, I know we've talked about it quite a bit, but diversity is obviously important in, mm -hmm. in, in the team here at, at this point, right? Yes. Uh, diversity is something I will tie in, uh, as well. And it's, I want to be clear, diversity, it gets mistaken. People think it's only about race. They think we should make the team just as colorful as we can be. And that's, that's fine, but diversity is also about religion. It's about uh, socioeconomic status. It's about um, women and age. I like seeing um, women over 40 or women over 50. I can make a very compelling argument out of that because those can be hard to find uh, in, in the workplace because they were starting. If you are a woman in her 50s, it means you started your career in a time that was not so friendly to women. Oh, incredible point. And the other thing is the fastest growing demographic mm -hmm. is baby boomers that are right. using and consuming cannabis or using it to supplement or replace a lot of medications. Mm -hmm. That's very important, very relative. Also, isn't it important that everyone is or most of the people be from that state? I Yes. Um, I also like to make a big deal about these people are local. They are invested in their communities. Uh, you know, if, if somebody coaches their kid's softball team, I'll write about that as being an example of look how devoted he is uh, to his community because that's very rarely a paid position. Uh, right. That's a volunteer sort of sort of gig and you have to care about your kids and their team and, and your community do that. Okay. We have a couple of minutes left here, Bethany. I so appreciate you sitting in with us today and sharing your knowledge about applications. Let's talk about the third way to kill your application, the third most important thing that is often overlooked. Sure. And we've, we've touched on this a little bit, but number three, I would say is poor planning. Okay. Uh, it is it is a bad idea to wait until the application comes out <coughs> to speak to speak with uh, a consultant. And that's usually, we, have, we see that a lot. We see people who finally downloaded the application and now they're in over their heads. Uh, if you are serious about getting into this industry, you need to start talking to a consultant when the bill is passed. And I think as an example, West Virginia, they passed a, uh, they signed a bill into law just last week, I think. Uh, and we are already talking with one potential client from that area who's very serious. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to working with them. In regards to the client waiting, mm -hmm. talk about the challenges of um, them underestimating or overestimating their actual partners or not properly vetting them. How important is that? Oh, right. So they, do you mean their, their consulting partners or their team members? Their team members. Yeah. Yes. Um, so team members. The consulting partner is usually good. Yes, usually, frequently. <laughs> We're betting ourselves. We're betting ourselves. But yeah, you do want to Google them, Absolutely. make sure it's real. Yeah. Just <laughs> Google search. Quick, quick Google search. Yes. Yeah. Um, so their team members, one of the things that uh, applications will ac ask about is a, uh, they'll ask about a background check. Yep. If you've had any sort of felony conviction, if you've had any sort of violent conviction, um, sometimes a, even a misdemeanor drug conviction will be enough to get 
to make that team member not worth um, uh, talking to. And on the team I was working with in Hawaii, we kept saying, you need to ha- all of your team members need to have squeaky, squeaky clean um, criminal histories. Actually, I'm from the South, and our expression there is clean like the preacher's sheets. Okay. So <laughs> that is... Yeah. Maybe a little risque, but um, well, well, we've joked about it a little bit, but it's also um, you know it, on, the, on the banking side is a whole nother topic on its own. But mm-hmm. but you can be declined and lose your accounts and things because your partners and people you yeah. do business with, not only internally but just as a habit of vetting your partners across the board, because this this industry attracts all people and there's a little bit of a changing of the guard. Mm-hmm. But understanding your partners is just, I feel like, a crucial part of it. Yes. You need to know them well enough so that you can work with them, and then they also need to be um, you know, available to work on the team. So one of the things our Pennsylvania client did that I thought was uh, just really, really smart is they hired a point person. Um, and it's because all of these people had full-time jobs, they knew that they weren't always going to be available to me, so they hired someone who was able, was just on call, could take my calls. If he didn't know the answer, it was his job to sort of find out. And then he and I were kind of working together, um, not all the time, but some of the time to get the, to get the application finished. Excellent. Well, Bethany, we are, we are almost out of time here. I just want to thank you so much. Bethany Niebauer, VP of Regulatory Compliance, Application Writing Extraordinaire at Strainwise Consulting. It has been a pleasure sitting with you for this hour. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Yeah, and thank you so much to our producers for making this show possible. Please join us next week for another edition of Blunt Business Radio. Uh, we'll be joined by another esteemed guest and look forward to sharing you a lot of it with you, a lot of information that makes you smarter. And uh, thank you again so much for joining us, and we will see you next week. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.